Hello and welcome everyone to Instagram and those of you that are tuning in on YouTube. My name is David Ashrick. This is my good friend, Elise Harville. Very good. And we are here for chapter two, session three of our session reading through this amazing book. I should say our challenge reading through this amazing book, Steps to Christ. I've got the hardcover version. You've got the, why do you have the paperback version? I like holding it. I love holding and it's easy to flip. Yeah, no, no, that's yeah. good. I, I like it. Today, as I was uh, marking and reading through this version, I just was once again so taken with how pleasing of, it's just such a pleasing experience to mm. read from a well-made, well-crafted, and the layout, I like the large margins. Mm -hmm. Anyway, welcome everybody. We are so the glad. The shiny pages. The shiny pages. Let's see if I can get that to reflect. Can you see that? Little translucence there. I had a great day today, Elise. Did you have a good day? A great day. Can I ask you, because uh, we just literally got together a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. um, what did you do today? Um, I cleaned the house that I've been sitting. Okay. Did you clean the dog? No. I did wipe off his paws. Okay. I had, you know, my emotional farewell. And the dog's name was Dexter? I never thought I could bond with such a dog, <laughs> but I did. I By saw the, the way, there's a picture of him on I Instagram. saw the picture on Instagram, yeah. and I just want to say that is a dog that I'm glad certain people can bond with. <laughs> I was surprised, but I was a little sad to say bye. And part of what made it sad is because when you're saying bye to people, you can say, oh, I'm not going to see you for a really long time. <laughs> right? But there was no way I could tell this dog that like this is the last time in his life that I'm ever going to see him, and that it like this is a meaningful encounter. Because he just probably thought I would come back in five <laughs> minutes, and that bothered me. So, um, uh, and then I went and saw okay. Ivan and Livy again. Okay, so you went and saw your friends Ivan and Livy yeah. today. Our friends Ivan and Livy. And what did you do? Anything fun? Did you just chat? Did you play games? Did you go for a walk? There. Well, we ate food, and they're building like a mural to put on their wall with in Legos with the the year, the number of the year. Oh, awesome! And so I got to do one of the squares. Um, oh, very yeah. cool. What food did you eat? It was like a Korean um, bowl thing. Yeah. Is it the thing that it we ate the really last time good. we were over there? No, no, but no, that okay. was good too. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you had a good day. You visited friends. Um, do you want to ask me what I did today? Oh, yeah. I'm very interested. <laughs> I'm very dying to know. Well, my lovely wife, Violetta, went into the mountains today and she was asking me if I would go, but I really wanted to go to the rock climbing gym. And so I went to the rock climbing gym by myself and had a great time doing some bouldering and climbing and working out. Then I came back uh, and then I've just been eating some food and getting ready for tonight. Nice. And Violetta had a wonderful day in the mountains. She actually went ice skating. Oh, in the mountains. Yeah, because there's a lake up at a place called Evergreen. Downhill ice? No, no, no. Just ice skating on a lake. That's cool. And uh, she FaceTimed me and it was so cute because she's not like a particularly proficient ice skater. She hasn't done it since she was very young. Mm -hmm. So she was just, she's FaceTiming me and she's just, sh 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 it just looked really, she looked Aww. like a little Bambi. She looked kind Aww. of clumsy and kind of, but she was the biggest smile. In fact, I actually got video of her on my phone because she looked so happy. That's so, very cute. Anyway, that was snowing. my day. It's snowing, it's snowing here heavily. right now in Colorado and maybe your flight will get canceled mm. and you won't be able to leave. Maybe. And maybe you could go see Dexter again. <laughs> it's okay. I don't want to open the wound and have Correct. to go through that again. I understand. Okay. Welcome, everybody. We are so glad that you are tuning in. 
Um, we've got two quick announcements, and they'll be very quick, and then we're going to get into chapter two, titled The Sinner's Need of Christ. Um, the first announcement is just, again, about the t-shirts. I was going to put up a post today on Instagram, but I forgot to do it, so I'll do it tomorrow. But you can go to the Types and Symbols website, order the shirt. Happily, there are both short sleeve and long sleeve and sort of feminine cut. Do they have feminine cut long sleeve? Is that a thing or is it just short sleeve? I don't know, but they'll tell us. Okay. So those are available at Types and Symbols on their website. And uh, I'm going to go on tomorrow and order one for myself. And probably my boys always want one and Violetta wants one. So if you're interested in getting a shirt, we can only order them through January and when they're gone, they're gone because we're only doing this as a sort of special item. That's number one. Maybe next time we can have dog shirts too. <laughs> Enough about this Dexter <laughs> okay, <time. I'm> <laughs> okay. Now, our second announcement is the little surprise that I've teased a couple mm -hmm. times. And the, the surprise basically, it, do you want to say it or do you want me to say it? Go for it. Okay, I'll say it. So you might remember when we did OT with DA. I'm wearing the shirt, OT with DA. We had a number of supplemental sessions. Elise, you actually did one of those mm -hmm. supplemental sessions on trauma, mm -hmm. right? The theology of trauma. And I wasn't really planning on doing any supplemental sessions in our SC with DA Reading Challenge. But Elise, when we talked several days ago, you said, hey, I think we should do a supplemental session while, while I'm there. And we talked a little bit about what that supplemental session would be. And it really grows very naturally out of chapter two, mm -hmm. the chapter that we're going to be in tonight, The Sinner's Need of Christ. And so the good news is we're going to have a supplemental session that we're actually going to record tomorrow, and then it will be available probably later tomorrow evening on the YouTube page. The, the bad news is we're actually not going to do it live on Instagram, so I should probably be talking over here. So Instagram, there will be uh, a supplemental session, but it's not going to be live, and the reason for that is we have to record it fairly early in the morning. And um, anyway, we're just sort of keeping the lives to the seven o'clock in the evening. And that way, if it doesn't go well, we... Uh... What do you mean doesn't go well? <laughs> just kidding. So there's no pressure. So there will be a supplemental session, but it won't be one of the live sessions. And it will be available tomorrow. And we have actually a title. Yep. Do you want to... You give the title reveal for what we're going to be talking about okay. tomorrow. Because title... really, it's an extension of what we're talking yeah. about tonight. Yeah. So what we want to do, like uh, last night, we talked a lot about how um, the enemy is trying to blind our minds to who God is. Yeah, screw forward just um, a little bit. But he also tries to confuse us about who we are. Mm -hmm. yep. And it's really important as believers that we have a healthy self-concept and that we think about ourselves the way that God wants us to. Yeah. And um, yeah, that really all through Steps to Christ, there are hints of how we should think about ourselves. Like last night when it talked about how the value that Christ oh, places on yeah, man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I think we have entitled our supplemental session, Am I a Saint, a Sinner, or Both? Hmm. How to Develop a Biblical Self-Concept, or How to Form a Biblical Self-Concept. So we're going to be talking about um, how to apply gospel principles in our own self-talk, how we think about ourselves. Okay, very good. Mm -hmm. So sinner or saint or both, and say the subtitle again. How to form a healthy self-concept. A biblical self-concept, I think you said. Oh, yeah. A healthy biblical self-concept. A healthy biblical, wonderful, Self-concept. And the reason that we're going to be doing that is, and in, in by way of introduction into what we're going to be talking about tonight, going through chapter two, 
is, and I just said this to Elise before we turn the cameras on, this chapter is very simple. Mm -hmm. Like if you just sort of pan out a little bit and take a sort of cosmic view of this chapter, it's extremely simple. But Ellen White touches on a number of themes that we could go deep, deep, deep in our, you know, we can go into a theological deep dive on many of the themes. But if we tried to do that in this live session, it would be two hours or longer. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do in this session tonight is we're going to go through the chapter itself. But there are a number of questions about the forming of a biblical self-concept that are going to come up mm -hmm. because the chapter is titled, The Sinner's Need of Christ. Well, mm -hmm. I, I need Christ. Do you need Christ? I do. Well, I guess that makes us sinners. But are we only sinners? Is there something else to the story? Because the whole chapter is about how we are we are transitioned or transformed from being sinners into what God has for us. And so we're going to do a, a supplemental session tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to it because I think it's going to be an opportunity to explore some ideas mm -hmm. that in my you know, 20 plus years of pastoral ministry and teaching ministry, people are confused by, mm -hmm. right? Like, like people will say, yes, I'm a sinner, but wait a minute, I'm also a saint. Am I a sinner and a saint both? What does that mean? How do we balance these ideas? And so by the grace of God tomorrow and tonight, we'll have some real biblical clarity in how we should, and I liked your language there, what, what should our self-talk look and sound like if it's going to be biblically informed? Mm-hmm. We would say identity, right? We're going to be talking about identity. Yes. Okay, so those are our two announcements. Um, you prayed opening prayer last night. I'll pray tonight, and then maybe you can close for us. Okay. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, so great to be here for session three of SC with DA. And Father, it's so great to have Elise here. She's had a great day. I've had a wonderful day. And Father, every day that we have where the sun is shining or the snow is falling and we have opportunity to eat good food, and spend time with friends. It's just a reminder of your goodness. And as we talked about, that, that we would just make that quick transition from the happy, wonderful things that happen to us to just immediately say, God is good. God is good. And Father, in tonight's chapter, we have opportunity to see that even in the midst of our need and our lifelessness and powerlessness, you were good and you are good. So I pray that you would be with us tonight in a really powerful way and that we would walk through this chapter and see everything that you'd like to teach us tonight in this session. Be with Elise, be with myself, be with all those that are listening in, both now, live, presently, and those that will listen in months uh, and years later. And we pray for your spirit for both the speaker and the listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, um, chapter two, titled The Sinner's need of Christ. And I didn't do this yesterday, Elise, but with your permission, I'm going to just read your introduction in the Types and Symbols Journal. Permission granted. Okay. we do. I don't think I did that yesterday, did I? I think you did. Oh, maybe I did. That's how I'm going to start. Okay. Okay. This is uh, Elise's summary of the chapter, and I think it's excellent. It says, to be human is to be in desperate need of grace. Hallelujah. That's me. Despite our best efforts, we often fall short. Failing to reach our own standards, we inevitably hurt ourselves, others, and God. Thankfully, the solution doesn't come from resolving to simply try harder. Our only hope is found in God's mercy and the perfection of his son. Well written. Well, it's a relief, huh? <laughs> it's a relief now that it's in print. No, um, I mean that that Jesus exists. Oh, amen. I thought you were saying it's a relief that it was well written. Um, so... 
I absolutely love, love, love the second paragraph here. To me, we could spend the entire program on the second paragraph. So Elise, if you could just read the first paragraph just to sort of set us up, because I want to go fairly deep on paragraph two. You can see how colorful yeah. my are. Are you markings saying are. the first paragraph on the second page? Or no, no, just start? right here. Okay. Just, just start reading the chapter. Mm. Man was originally endowed with noble powers and a well-balanced mind. He was perfect in his being and in harmony with God. Mm. His thoughts were pure, his aims holy. But through disobedience, his powers were perverted, and selfishness took the place of love. His nature became so weakened through transgression that it was impossible for him in his own strength to resist the power of evil. He was made captive by Satan and would have remained so forever had not God specially interposed. It was the tempter's purpose to thwart the divine plan in man's creation and fill the earth with woe and desolation. And he would point to all this evil as a result of God's work in creating man. Okay, so we are right back in to the very same motifs that we were in yesterday, mm -hmm. right? We're in that great controversy motif. We're in that lies about the character of God motif. We're in this uh, motif of Eden, right? It, it opens. Man was originally endowed with noble powers and a well-balanced mind. He was perfect in his being. And so one of the things that jumped out to me is that chapter two in the sort of macro view looks a lot like chapter one mm -hmm. in that it goes from Eden to Eden restored. That's chapter one. And she does the same thing here. We start off in Eden and then we're going to go through the sinner's need of Christ. But when we leave chapter two, we're going to find ourselves right back in that same hopeful place of the uh, promise of Eden restored. Mm. And so these, these ideas are just so saturative in Ellen White's writing and understanding of Scripture, and frankly, in my understanding of Scripture, that it's really hard to talk about anything biblically significant without immediately talking about the great controversy, mm -hmm. that there's a conflict, that there's a war, and talking about the trajectory of from Eden to Eden. And, and just by way of illustration, like in the Arise program, when we teach through the uh, lengthy Arise program, whether it's the on-site program or the online program or the intensives, we teach through what we call the seven chapters of Scripture. And those seven chapters, just listen to them carefully here because they're really an, an expansion of this idea of Eden to Eden. Okay, so they are pre-creation, creation, fall, covenant, Messiah, church, recreation. Right, so from pre-creation and creation to recreation is that sort of Eden to Eden arc. And just by way of sort of drawing in the times in which we're living, tomorrow is a holiday here in the United States of America. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, right? Mm -hmm. You knew that, MLK. And one of my, my very favorite quotation, actually, from MLK, he had many uh, wonderful uh, books that he wrote and little sayings, but my favorite saying of all of his is that the, the moral arc of the universe is long, mm. but it bends toward justice, right? That, that this whole thing is going somewhere. It's bending ever so slowly, sometimes glacially, incrementally, toward justice. And that's what Ellen White's doing here. Mm -hmm. She's saying, we began here, and then in the whole cosmic sweep of the chapter, and even of the larger conflict, beautiful book set, we begin in, in Eden, we end in Eden, and this is just reflexive for her that we, talking about a biblical self-concept, we cannot conceive of who we are if we don't see ourselves as made in the image of God, fallen from that image, but redeemed in Christ and promised restoration. 
So I love that. I, all of that is wrapped up in paragraph one. Mm -hmm. You got anything in paragraph one that jumped out at you? Yeah. Um, honestly, it made me a little bit sad, like thinking about how um, how much our minds have changed. Right. Okay. Like because the he's, she said human beings had well-balanced minds, no mm. powers. It must have been such a, well, not a relief for them because they had never experienced something else. But for us who struggle with, you know, sadness, stress, like uh, all the things our brains struggle with, you know, thousands Anxiety, of years after fear, the fall, sure. to think about what it would be like to have been in like the perfectly mm -hmm. sound mind right. and everyone else around you has a perfectly sound um, mind. Mm -hmm. um, it was like, wow, mm. we've... We've changed. We've changed a lot. Yeah, and, and oh, you go. Well, one more thing. Um, it made me think like sin has caused a traumatic brain brain injury, right? Like oh, one that's of a the, good way to say one it. One of the saddest things in the medical world is if someone injures their brain, it's like you can't you can't just make it go away, right? And, and sin has actually injured the human psyche, the human brain. Um, it's like you gave that great quotation yesterday that you read, where when we cherish wrong conceptions of God, this injures our own mm -hmm. soul. It mm -hmm. injures our brain. Our brains are broken on so many levels. And, and Ellen White really gets to the heart, to the nucleus of what that brain brokenness, soul brokenness looks like when she says that the transition that took place was that selfishness took the place of love. Mm -hmm. I mean, she just says that, right? Selfishness took the place of love. And that is the most sort of embryonic, nucleic, condensed version of what we are talking about theologically when we're talking about the fall. Mm -hmm. That there was an orientation to God, that there was an inclination to God, and then all of a sudden the inclination is to self-preservation and selfishness, mm -hmm. and that eclipsed the love that had been built into God's original intent for mankind, which was to bear his image. So that's extremely well communicated. Another thing that jumped out is if you just look at that last sentence there in paragraph one, and he would point to mm -hmm. all this evil as the result of God's work in creating man, that harkens back to those words that we looked at yesterday. Remember this? These words of, uh, this is on page 20 of the Types and Symbols, 11 of the original pagination. She says, though all these evidences have been given, the enemy of good blinded the minds of men so that they looked upon God with fear. They thought of him as severe and unforgiving. Satan led men to conceive of God as a being whose chief attribute is stern justice, one who is a severe judge, a harsh and exacting creditor. So those words, stern, severe, harsh, exacting, unforgiving. He pictured the creator as being, as a being who's, who is watching with jealous eye to discern the errors and mistakes of men, that he may visit judgments upon them. Mm. So, so this is exactly what she's talking about here, and we're right back to that point about perception, which is how we sort of began, that, mm -hmm. that so much of what's happening in the great controversy is a misperception of who God actually is, and then as a consequence of that, and we'll talk about this in our supplemental session tomorrow, a misperception of who we are. Mm -hmm. But she gets right to it here. We are fallen. We were noble. We were perfect in mind. And we have fallen from that. Selfishness has taken the place of love. And therefore, and this is where the whole chapter is going, we have not just a desire, not just a want, not just a longing. We have a need of a Savior, of Christ. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I also just want to quickly remind ourselves here of a motif that's going to become very important in this 
chapter, and that is the the word impossible. I don't know mm-hmm. if you noticed that, but that word comes up a mm-hmm. lot here. His nature became so weakened through transgression that it was impossible for him in his own strength to resist the power of evil. And I'll note that several times tonight, that that whole idea of something became impossible, mm-hmm. not just unlikely, not just difficult, but it could not happen. And then the other thing in that paragraph there that jumped out at me is this idea that that Adam and Eve were taken captive by Satan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they thought that their experience would be elevated and enhanced, mm-hmm. but instead they were no longer free. And this is at the heart of the satanic delusion and deception of, of all people and of all times and all ages, the promise of freedom, the promise of enlightenment that is ultimately actually captivity and mm-hmm. bondage. And this reminded me of last year, we talked for, I don't know, 20 minutes in one of the sessions about Christian hedonism. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Maybe just a, can you give us just a quick refresher on that? Like somebody might not have been tuning in. What do we mean when we say Christian hedonism? Because mm-hmm. it sounds like a strange yeah. juxtaposition. So typically the word hedonism is used to describe like people who just um, cast off all restraint to pursue like selfish pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is like they they are seeking pleasure. Um, but we believe that like because, you know, because of natural law, because human beings were designed to operate a certain way, um, that like when we step outside of the boundaries of God's blessing, mm. even though there may be um, temporary pleasure, that that, de- that isn't ultimately what leads to lasting pleasure. Mm-hmm. And this is validated in so many ways also by just, the world around us, like um, social science. I mean, think of some examples, like when we do things that God has said not to do. There are consequences. There's diminishing returns. Correct. Um, what, what's that great C.S. Lewis quote about how sin is an, you know, an ever, I don't remember it exactly, but it's an ever, you know, increasing desire for an ever diminishing right. you know, good or an ever diminishing result. Right. And similar to the addiction cycle, it's like, something can start out really re- feeling really rewarding and amazing and pretty soon you're dependent on it and you're not really even enjoying you're it. Just you're just sick if you don't get it. to survive. And so Christian hedonism is this idea that to pursue obedience is to pursue pleasure mm. because God designed us, he made us, and he knows what ultimately brings us pleasure. Beautiful. And so it's a great way, you know, especially when we're struggling to obey God or surrender something in our lives, to reframe our thoughts away from, oh, this this is hard, this is restrictive, to like, I'm on the path to pleasure here because mm. I'm orienting myself to, to God's reality. Yeah, beautiful. It reminds me of that uh, line from chapter one yesterday that, that God had made Adam and Eve happy and holy, mm-hmm. right? And we sometimes have this idea that holiness and happiness are antithetical. In fact, they're almost synonymous, that, that the, the pathway to happiness is holiness as described by God in scripture. Right. And I saw someone commented like something about the prosperity gospel. So how is this different from, how is what we're talking about different from the prosperity gospel? Well, I think they're as different as can be. Like Mm -hmm. the Australians would say chalk and cheese, right? Like totally different. My understanding of the prosperity gospel is basically the idea that you name it and claim it with regards to material things. Mm-hmm. You know, I need a new Corvette. I need a new whatever it might be. Some material thing that I now have access to because I've claimed it in the name of Jesus and God wants me to be financially prosperous. Well, maybe he does want me to be financially prosperous, but the primary way that God wants me to be prosperous is in his word and in yeah. his will and in service. 
And Christian hedonism isn't saying that, you know, you're living a life of faith will never involve suffering because certainly that is the case as sure, well. We see that sure. in Jesus's life and the life of his followers in scripture, but it's saying if we make a commitment to ordering our lives, treating our bodies, treating our relationships the way that God designed, mm. there is a, there is a pleasure in that. There's a blessing in that. Beautiful. And you know, there's the hope of eternal life, which is the ultimate pleasure. Amen. And, and not just a pleasure and not just eternal life, but freedom. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the that's where we got off here because that's where we went on that little Christian hedonism side road because the whole notion is that God wants you to be free. Mm-hmm. God's highest will for human beings is to be free. Right? That That is God's highest will for us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Yeah. But the, the, the language here that's being used in paragraph 1 is, that he was made captive by Satan. Satan wants to truncate freedom. God wants to expand freedom, mm. right? We see that actually there in, in Genesis 1 and 2, where God says, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Yeah. That's the language of abundance. It's the language of permission. It's not the language of prohibition. In fact, there were lots of trees that they could have eaten from, mm-hmm. but only one tree that they couldn't. It's like one of my favorite Bible verses Psalm, is Psalm eighty-four, eleven. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Correct. And if we really believe that, mm. um, we can, I don't know, move forward in the Christian life, not in a way, oh, I have to do this. It's just like, he's not going to take anything. We like total trust. He's not going to take anything good away from us. Beautiful. And if something sounds good that is out of his will, like we're it's, deceived. It's, we're we deceived. We got tricked. We're, we, we, exactly. Just as Adam and Eve were tricked in the garden. Mm-hmm. So then we get to paragraph two, and for me, paragraph two was the most sort of theologically dense, and there's just layers of things going on here in paragraph two. So I'm going to read through it, and then I'm just going to start sort of saying things, and you can riff off of anything that I say, and it'll be interesting to see if you picked up on any of this as well. He he underlined like every other word. Yeah, that's true. There is quite a little bit there. Let me show you what that looks like. (laughs) So that's my paragraph two. That's what paragraph two looks like over here. So let me read it. It says, in his, in his sinless state, there's Eden, man held joyful communion with him in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3. But after his sin, he could no longer find joy in holiness, and he sought to hide from the presence of God. Such is still the condition of the unrenewed heart. It is not in harmony with God and finds no joy in communion with him. The sinner could not be happy in God's presence. He would shrink from the companionship of holy beings. Could he be permitted to enter heaven? It would have no joy for him. The spirit of unselfish love that reigns there, every heart responding to the heart of infinite love, there's our phrase infinite love again, would touch no answering chord in his soul. His thoughts, his interests, his motives would all be alien to those that actuate the sinless dwellers there. He would be a discordant note in the melody of heaven. Heaven would be to him a place of torture. He would long to be hidden from him who is its light and the center of its joy. And then this, and this is my memorization little Mm. section. This gem right here should be memorized. Commit this to memory. This is my memorization, and I'll come back to that a little bit later, but it's this last bit. It is no arbitrary decree on the part of God that excludes the wicked from heaven. They are shut out by their own unfitness for its companionship. The glory of God would be to them a consuming fire. They would welcome destruction that they might be hidden from the face of him who died to redeem them. I mean, there are there's so much going on there, right? 
So let me just highlight a few of the things that, that leapt out to me. First of all, I love the language of music. Did you pick that up? That I she, missed it. She uses this language. It is, it is not in harmony with God and finds no joy in communion. Harmony. No answering. And then she goes on to say, um, the spirit of unselfish love that reigns there, every heart responding to the heart of infinite love would touch no answering chord in his soul. Right? As a musician, when you are playing uh, a certain chord, you have what are called chord progressions. So if you go from chord A to chord, you know, to your next chord, it needs to be an answering chord. It needs to, to be a chord that builds the melody or, or builds the musical piece. And that's the language of music. She goes on to say, he would be a discordant note in the melody of heaven. So you have all this musical language, note, melody, chord, harmony. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a great metaphor for exactly what it is that was lost. Because we've all heard, I assume many of us have heard, you know, non-harmonic or aharmonic music, music that doesn't sound right to the ear or music that just doesn't sound like music at all, right? And, and the language here of music helps us to see that, that there's a melody line and then there's harmonies to those melodies and there's notes mm. that fit in. And we want to be those notes that fit into the divine melody. And if we're a discordant note, then we're not a part, a part of that answering chord that God wants us to be to his will, to his word, and to his kingdom. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing that jumped mm-hmm. out to me. I love the, the music language. Okay? Also, did you notice how often she talks about joy in this paragraph? Joyful communion, joy in holiness, joy in communion happy in God's presence. It would have no joy for him, the center of its joy. I mean, this is really getting to the heart of God's will for human beings. And it goes back to the Christian hedonism thing we were just talking about a little bit ago. God wants you to be maximally free and maximally happy. Hmm. I mean, just, just, just hear that right now. Just hear that. God wants you to be maximally free and maximally happy. And the emphasis here on joy, 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 joyful, happy, alerts us to what God's highest will for us is. It's to be happy. It's to be filled with joy. Um, can I keep going? Another layer... You're on a roll. I'm on a roll. Another layer in this paragraph that's amazing is how she uses the idea of hidden or the word hide in slightly different ways. So she begins by saying, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's Colossians 2.3. She then goes on to say that that after sin, mankind could find could no longer find joy in holiness. He sought to hide from the presence of God, right? Tapping into Genesis 3. Mm-hmm. She then goes on to say he could not be happy in God's presence. He would shrink, which is just a synonym here for hide, right? To shrink mm-hmm. back. And then uh, she goes on to say if the opportunity was given for the sinner to be in heaven, to be in the presence of God, he would long to be hidden from him who is its light and the center of its joy And then, sort of tapping into Revelation 6 with the opening of the seal there, the sixth seal, when the people are saying, you know, to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, she taps into that, they would welcome destruction that they might be hidden from the face of him who died to redeem them. So there's this whole motif, not only of music, not only of joy, but of Adam and Eve's desire to hide that now we have a desire a, a natural carnal desire, an unrenewed desire to hide from God. But if we don't let God fix that desire to hide from him, we will find ourselves among those number 
among that number at the end of time that say, hide us from God. Right? Hide it. We, we don't want to be in God's presence because, as she says, to take a sinner and put them in the presence of God or in the company of holy beings would be torturous to them. Yeah. What really jumped out Ooh. to me here is, um, you know, so many people, unfortunately, who have been taught the doctrine of eternal torment. Right. They... Um, they view a God, and you know, many people have left Christianity because of this. It's like, how can I love a God who would torture people? Right. So there's this belief that hell is a place of torture right. for sinners. But she's mm. saying, no, no, heaven would be a place of torture for sinners, but hell isn't eternal torment. It's annihilation. So right. uh, it's, a, it's a much more humane, um, compassionate God. In fact, it's really interesting mm. um, one of Darwin's big objections to Christianity was eternal torment. Right. And um, it's, I'm just so grateful that we have, we have this perspective of annihilation, not only of annihilationism, but also of the fact that it's not arbitrary. Like mm. everyone will end up where they would most want to be at that point. Correct. Yeah. I like to say that everybody that would be happy in heaven will be there. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, that's what she means when she says, and, and I really urge you to memorize this. I actually had a chapter in my book, God in Pain, titled, No Arbitrary Decree. From this very section, it is no arbitrary decree. What does the word arbitrary mean? Without rhyme, without reason, with, 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 with no rationality, it's just capricious, it's serendipitous, it's arbitrary. No, she says it is not that way. Mm. It's not just irrational, illogical, non-sequential. No. It is no arbitrary decree on the part of God that excludes the wicked from heaven. They are shut out by their own unfitness for its companionship. The glory of God would be to them a consuming fire. And of course, we find that consuming fire language all throughout Scripture, especially Hebrews 12, and then, of course, Moses on Mount Sinai. So if we can just open our minds to this beautiful idea that God wants to bring every single person into his presence— that's what God is going to do. God wants to bring every single person into his presence, but for some, that being in the presence of God would not be heavenly and euphoric and beautiful and, you know, freedom and all of that. It would be torturous. But everybody's going to have, and this is maybe the simplest way to say it, a face-to-face -face encounter with the living God. Mm -hmm. And for some, it will be heaven, and for others, it will be hell. Heavy stuff, right? But so powerful. And uh, I just love the emphasis on joy, that God's desire for us is to be maximally happy and maximally free. Yeah? You got anything else on that page? Uh, nope. Now she's launching into the impossibility exactly. of us solving this problem. It is impossible for us of ourselves to escape from the pit of sin in which we are sunken. Our hearts are evil and we cannot change them. So there's this whole motif about mm. there's an impossibility here. There's an inability right? Something, something cannot happen. Well, what is the thing that cannot happen? She goes on to say, uh, she quotes here, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean one? She's quoting here from Job 14. The carnal mind is enmity, enmity against God or hatred against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, uh, nor indeed can it be, quoting from Romans chapter 8, verse 7. She then gets into this motif here, and, and I'm really going strong here, Elisa, you just jump in at any point, where she starts talking about power and powerlessness, Right? Now, this is fascinating. Education, culture, I'm on page 30, 18 of the original pagination. Education, culture, the exercise of the will, human effort, 
all have their proper sphere. Okay, thumbs up. That's great. You just graduated. Proper sphere. But here they are powerless. Where? Where's here? In the elevation of man from the pit of sin in which we are sunk. From the, the fallenness of our nature. He says, she says here they are powerless. They may produce an outward correctness of behavior, but they cannot change the heart. They cannot purify the springs of life. There must be a, here we go, a power working from within, a new life from above. Before men can be changed from sin to holiness, that power is Christ. His grace alone can quicken the lifeless faculties of the soul and attract it to God and to holiness. Mm -hmm. That's the chapter, really, and that's what I meant when I said this chapter is simple. We were connected in Eden. We were disconnected in the fall. But God wants to reconnect us, and the means by which, the power by which we are reconnected to God is Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it makes it really clear here, like, the gospel is not a, a new behavior modification yep. model, although if we're touched by the gospel, we will never be the same. Correct. Um, it's not about becoming somewhat more moral human beings. It's about a new life, and this, you know, she gets into Nick, uh, this quote that, Jesus said to Nicodemus about the need to be born again. Mm -hmm. And he was someone who, you know, had checked all the boxes, like yeah. he'd done everything right in his life um, to escape from sin, to be right with God. And yet Jesus, you know, cut to cut to the heart and yeah. said, like, you have a problem. And, and if you're not born again, you're not going to see, the, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Mm. Um, and I think it's really really easy for us. I mean, I know like early in my Christian experience, I had a very intense struggle with legalism because it's really easy to start thinking like, okay, if I can just figure out all the things I'm supposed to do mm -hmm. and then do them, then I'm safe. Like, because, you know, this whole great controversy is happening and I want to make sure I'm on the right side. And, um, yeah. like before we know it, we can be looking at ourselves mm -hmm. instead of looking at Jesus. Um, but I'm getting ahead because, you know, we're no, going to talk that, about the ladder stuff. and everything. I, I, I like the the sort of autobiographical, and I know your story, and I've heard you say that before, and it's it's true that that I think the natural reflex of a lot of new believers, sincere believers, devout believers, is to try and cooperate with every requirement, behavioral requirement. And, and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. Right? Obedience is better than disobedience. Yeah, she said they, it has its proper sphere. Exactly. Exactly. But what, what can happen, what can happen in a subtle or sometimes not so subtle way, is that we mistake the behavioral modification, mm -hmm. right? Doing the right things. And we think that becomes then the source of our reconnection with God, mm -hmm. of our standing with God, of our identity. And she's saying, no, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. In fact, the language that she uses here, all of this whole section here is really steeped in Romans 5. This, this is basically her excursus of Romans chapter 5. And I'll just give you a, a quick line. I'm reading here from the NIV. The NIV does a really good job translating this. I'm in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The New King James says, when we were without strength, well, that language of powerless is the very language that she's using here, right? They are powerless. There has to be another power, an external power, a power from above, a new life. And then she just says, so there can be no mistaking it, 
that external power, that saving power, that reconnecting power is Christ. Hallelujah. And so this is basically, this is just Romans 5 is what it is. Yeah. And then she says the idea that it is necessary only to develop the good that exists in man by nature is a fatal deception. And I mean, so many people believe that like, well, in fact, there was a recent survey um, among evangelicals, and I think I was close to 50% of them believed that like, you know, as long as you're a good person, like right. you're probably going to heaven kind of thing. And but she's saying this is a fatal deception that human beings in their own nature have what it takes, even if you, you know, you could do a lot of outward good deeds, but Jesus is after God is after the heart, the motive. Mm. Well, and it gets back to the point that you were talking about and what we'll talk about on our supplemental session tomorrow, that that the satanic delusion and deception is not only an incorrect concept of God, it's an incorrect self-concept. And if we believe that at some level, well, I'm actually, I'm actually a pretty good person. I just need to develop, to enhance, mm -hmm. to perfect the good that is native to me. Yeah, that is a fatal, she says it's a fatal deception or a fatal mistake. Well, what happens if you commit a fatal mistake? You die. You die, right? So you don't want to be committing fatal mistakes or falling under fatal deceptions. And the idea that there is some goodness that is native to us or inherent in us that merely needs to be augmented and developed and, you know, through all the things that she lists here, the exercise of the will, culture, education, human effort, oh, all we have to do is just tidy up a bit. No, we're lifeless, we're powerless, we're lost, we're in the pit of sin. We need to be saved. We need to be saved. We need to be rescued. And Jesus alone is qualified to rescue us. And he has rescued us, which we'll get to. We'll get Great. to. Woo, come on now. Um, where are we at? Um, I'm at the top of page 31 yeah. in the yep. types and symbols. Um, why don't you just read maybe the first little mm -hmm. bit of that right down to just before she starts quoting uh, Paul in Romans 7. Okay. It is not enough to perceive the loving kindness of God to see the benevolence, the fatherly tenderness of his character. It is not enough to discern the wisdom and justice of his law to see that it is founded upon the eternal principle of love. Mm. Paul the Apostle saw all this when he exclaimed, I agree with the law that it is good. The law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. But he added in the bitterness of his soul anguish and despair, I am carnal, sold under sin. He longed for the purity, the righteousness to which in himself he was powerless to attain. There's our word again, powerless. And cried out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Who will resurrect me, really? Mm. Right? And and what jumped out to me here is, again, this is an excursus of, of Romans 5. We're right back in this notion here of powerlessness. But you see her describing what, what you might call a, a mere intellectual ascent to spiritual realities, right? And she uses a bunch of language to that effect right at the beginning of the paragraph. And she uses this phrase twice. It is not enough, mm -hmm. right? It is not enough to perceive the loving kindness of God, to see the benevolence and fatherly tenderness of his character. It is not enough to discern the wisdom and justice of his law and to see that it is founded upon eternal principle of love. What she's doing here is she is basically cutting us off from trusting in a kind of veneer of religiosity, mm -hmm. a familiarity with the Bible, with Jesus. Oh, no. Oh, I know. She says, no, it's not enough just to see, to know, to perceive 
There needs to be a total transformation. We need to be crying out in the despair that she described, or that Paul describes himself as crying out in there in Romans chapter 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, I need deliverance. I need salvation. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Right? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then what she does is so great, the last uh, sentence there of that paragraph, to all there is but one answer. And then she quotes John 1, 29. Mm-hmm. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. He's the one. He is the means by which we receive a new life. We are empowered to be, we are enabled to be what we could never be in the absence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's the difference maker. You got anything else there? Uh, I just love how she she says, you know, there's been so many figures to illustrate this point that we yes. need to behold the lamb. And, you know, we can think of so many, the serpent in the wilderness, um, mm-hmm. Jacob's story that she The details. whole sanctuary system. Yeah. But I just love the story of Jacob who, you know, he has, he has failed so miserably and he must be, mm. you know, just overwhelmed in shock at what he's done. He's having to flee. He knows that he's displeased God. Um, and, you know, he's... It says, in sadness, he lay down to rest. And I know like sometimes at the end of the day, it's easy to be a little more sad because you're exhausted. Mm. And, you know, we talk about like crying yourself to sleep. So here's this, you know, pathetic picture. He's he's has his head on a stone. Right. He's like, yep, you yep, know, yep. all alone. And the message, like, I just think the dream that God sent him um was so tender, so generous. Mm. Um, and she said it was a message of comfort and hope. Mm-hmm. And that that message, of course, was, describe it to us. What was the dream? Well, the dream was this, you know, she uses several different words, and the Hebrew word here can mean, like, basically a staircase. We sometimes talk about Jacob's ladder, but the way that we typically think of a ladder is really not what's being described by the Hebrew word. It's, it's a staircase. It's an ascending set of tiers that takes you up, or if you're up, brings you down. So Jacob sees this staircase, and and I mentioned this in the uh, welcome that we did a couple days ago, that that in the flow of the story of, and I preach on this in my upcoming series on Jacob, I'm so happy that she says, you know, there's many things we could talk about, and then boom, she goes right to Jacob's ladder, mm-hmm. which is fascinating, mm-hmm. right? Like she goes to an Old Testament story, an Old Testament passage, not just Old Testament, but in the first book of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, and I just preached a series, as many of you know, on the life of Jacob, and in the flow of the story of Genesis, what Jacob's ladder is, Jacob's staircase, is the reversal of Babel, right? Mm. So, so, so Babel is, by human effort, human ambition, we're going to build from the earth up. Okay. We're going to build to the very the languages to the very gate of heaven. Okay, but what's happening with Jacob's staircase is this is not human beings reaching up to God. This is God lowering the ladder, the staircase from heaven down. And, and the text in Genesis 28 makes the point expressly that it rested on the earth. In other words, no, you didn't have to jump up to grab the yeah. ladder. You didn't have to build some, you know, monument to get up. No, it comes all the way down. Yeah, that's it. That's what I love, this idea, because uh, on a ladder, whether you're low or high, every rung is manageable, right? Like, Correct. It's gradual. It's possible. Mm. And God, 
God meets us where we are. The ladder comes, the staircase comes all the way down. Yes. And there is like provision for every single step where the enemy wants us to think like, you know, the ladder only makes it halfway down and we right. have to jump or like it's the, the, the rungs are too far apart. It's too hard mm -hmm. uh, when really like staircases or ladders are designed to make it relatively easy Correct. to, to, you know, go up a space you never would have been able to before. And that's what Jesus is for us. He's made something possible. Because he is the staircase. And and that's the that's the crucial point that people miss on Jacob's staircase or Jacob's ladder. They think, oh, this is the means by which we ascend to God. No, it is not. Mm -hmm. No, no. It is the means by which God has condescended to come down to us. That's why I think an actual better title for the book, I like the title Steps to Christ. I think it's a good title. But Steps with Christ. Yeah. Steps in Christ, because at every step along the way, to go back to your illustration, you're on the staircase. Mm -hmm. You're on the ladder, right? If you're in that process, you're in Christ. You are with Jesus. And I want you just to feel how, and this is a great point, and I actually make this point in the sermon series, uh, which actually starts this coming Sabbath, and it's this. You mentioned this, but Jacob's just made a mess of things, and I won't go into all the details here except to say that he's afraid, he's anxious, he's confused, he's fearful, and he is fleeing from his brother. He assumes um, that his brother Esau, a hunter, is in pursuit of him. So there's fear, there's anxiety, there's guilt, and he's had to flee uh, away from his family, away from his homeland, and he feels forsaken, he feels cast off. As you read there, He, in sadness he lays down to rest on the bare earth. So now this is so important, you guys, and I want you to really feel this. When God shows up to him, and, and the vision of Jacob's ladder really consists of two parts, and I won't go into too much detail, but it was not only the vision of what he saw, it was the promise that he made. And I'll save that for the actual, um, you can listen to it in the sermon series. So it was two parts. It was what he saw, and it was what he heard. And well, maybe I'll just say a little bit about what he heard. What he heard was, I am with you. Hmm. I am with you. I will not leave you, but this is the real point I want to make. What God does not do, Elise, what God does not do is he doesn't say, you blew it. Yeah. Man, you made him. What are you doing here? Look, you're afraid. You're ridiculous. You're stupid. You Loser. should have never. Loser. No, no. Actually, rather than pointing Jacob back to his failure, what does he do? He reveals to him this staircase that is forward and upward. Mm-hmm. And this is where God meets us. When God meets us as, you know, dogs wallowing in our own vomit and as pigs wallowing in the mire, he doesn't say, well, you have made a mess of it. Mm -hmm. No, no, God doesn't point us backward mm -hmm. to our failures. He points us forward to mm -hmm. our future. It's kind of like um, in the prodigal son story, your pig analogy reminds yes. me of. He's got his whole speech prepared, his whole apology speech. Yes. That he's going to say to his father you yep. know, make me like one of your servants yep. this. and he doesn't even get through the whole yeah, thing i preached um, that before all of the love comes and yeah. um i think that's a beautiful thing like god mm. is like yes repentance is important and there's going to be a chapter on it but like he's just so excited like he's he's just so much wants us to feel loved and Amen. okay yeah god's god's desire when he meets us in our darkest moments when we're ashamed, when we're racked with guilt, when we've made a mess of it, when we've failed. God knows that we've failed. We know that we've failed. And so what God does not do in the story of Jacob is itemize his failures. 
It's a mutual, it's, we know that we have failed and we have fallen and we've made a mistake. So what does God do? God says, upward and forward. Mm-hmm. With Jesus, to Jesus, in Jesus, by Jesus, he is the staircase. And I just want to really encourage you, when that series comes out, starts this coming Sabbath on Storyline, um, Jacob, the faking, breaking, and making of a man. Please watch that series oh, nice. because there is so much gospel in the story of Jacob. And just think about this. Here we are, chapter two of a book titled Steps to Christ, and we're in the chapter of the sinner's need of Christ. And Ellen White says, well, there's lots of things that represent Jesus, but how about this one? Straight to Jacob's ladder. Mm-hmm. Straight to Jacob's staircase. Because it goes all the way up to heaven, all the way down to earth, and it was not erected by mankind. It was supernaturally lowered down all the way to earth for people just like me, people just like you, just like Elise, just like Jacob. Woo! You feeling me? Feeling I'm you. preaching. Um, okay, where are we at now? You got anything? It looks like we're in the paragraph. Go. Wait, are we on this page? Yeah, let's jump okay. over there. I loved... Um, page 33. Kind of the middle of this page, the heart of God, starting with there. 21 of the original pagination. Yep. Yeah. The um, heart of God yearns. Yearns over his earthly children with a love stronger than death and giving up his son, he has poured out to us all heaven in one gift. Oh. And then she starts to detail all these different heavenly beings or agencies that love us. Yeah. She said the Savior's life. The ministry yep. of the angels, the pleading of the spirit, the father working above, yep. um, the in, unceasing interest of heavenly beings. And I love this thought of like, there's a dream team. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like we wake up in the morning Amen. and we're like, oh, it's another day. I have to get up. And we could think like, there's a dream team. They're like super interested in my day and they really want to help me and they love me. And um, one illustration of this I really liked, it was a Francis Chan sermon and he had like a little a little container of ants. And he's in this big like amphitheater. And he said, okay, we're all gonna cheer for the ants. <laughs> so he had this whole amphitheater of people and they're like, yeah, <laughs> like loud and just cheering and like acting like they were so supportive of and you could of just feel ants. all of this energy, right? And he's like, this is what it's like. Like this is, you know, we're these tiny beings and and heaven is so interested so invested in us. And, and and i i just want to think about that more because you know people let us down and mm. uh, we often forget we have a we have an entire family we have a friend group we have yes. a, like fans in heaven that Amen. are super super interested in us and actively loving us beautiful and it's very trinitarian right she talks about the savior's life the pleading of the spirit the father working above i mean that's Father, Son, and Spirit right mm-hmm. there, in addition to the angels and this whole, like you say, dream team. Mm-hmm. That's great stuff. Th- then in the next paragraph, she uses the language, some of which we talked about yesterday a little bit. The, remember we talked about take notice. Yeah, contemplate. Contemplate. And she does that here. Oh, let us contemplate the amazing sacrifice that has been made for us. Let us try to appreciate the labor and energy that heaven is expending to reclaim the lost and bring them back to the Father's house. Motives stronger and agencies more powerful. There's that power motif, mm-hmm. right? We are powerless, but powerful agencies are working on our behalf. They're cheering us on in the giant auditorium that is the theater of heaven, and we're the little ants in the dish, mm-hmm. right? Agent, and, go. Oh, and yeah, I love this. Like she's saying, God's motive couldn't be better. Like, yeah. Um, his 
what he's doing couldn't be more powerful. Um, agencies more powerful could never be brought into operation. God can't do more than he's doing. Mm. And she's trying to tell us, contemplate the sacrifice. Try to appreciate it. Yes. Because we can, like we talked about yesterday, like it goes over our heads. If we're not intentional about reflecting on God and his goodness and the dream team and all of the things that scripture invites us to contemplate, it doesn't just happen naturally. We have to make room for it. But the great thing about the gospel is the gospel makes room for itself. Hmm. When, when we start thinking about the gospel and we start doing things like reading through books like Steps to Christ, it makes room for itself. I'll, I'll give you a good illustration. People will talk about, you know, binge watching television. And I'm not a big television watcher. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people will ask me, oh, have you seen this? I'm not a television watcher. I've seen a few television programs, but I, I just don't, you know, people are watching Yellowstone right now. And if you are, hey, that's your business. I, I, I can't get excited about that stuff. But You'd here's rather my go to Yellowstone. I just, I, those things don't move me. But here's yeah. the point. What happens is, is that you watch episode one, right? And then you're hooked. Yeah. And then you, you think, oh, I'm so busy. I have I have no time. But all of a sudden, when you get interested in something, you get interested in the mm -hmm. story, the characters, the plot, the series makes room for itself. Friends, listen to me. The gospel makes room mm. for itself. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You make a you make a little step, you make a little effort, and all of a sudden, the gospel, like yeast, remember Jesus used the mm -hmm. illustration of yeast, it just starts spreading through your whole life. And then the gospel starts informing your relationships, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what you do on the weekends. The, the, the gospel makes room for itself. And so it's powerful, right? It, it's not powerless. It's powerful. And um, yeah, I just, I just really love that idea. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of segues into talking about... Um, really like blessings and curses. I, last year, that was one of the chapters we talked about in um, OT with DA, the blessings yeah. and the curses. And she's um, lists, you know, here are the incentives for for choosing Jesus. Mm, yeah, gotcha. The rewards for right Mighty doing, incentives. Yeah. The, the joy of heaven, the company of the angels, the personal development. Mm. We don't think about that enough. Like, isn't it cool that in heaven we're going to be able to develop and grow in ways that we, you know, we won't hear. Like the things we'll learn, the things we'll do. Mm. But then she also gets into the, you know, the consequences of Yeah, the of warning. Not. We're like in the last two paragraphs here. And I like that she leads with the positive and then doesn't neglect or ignore the negative. Right. And on the other hand, I'm reading now second to the last paragraph. The judgments of God pronounced against sin. Just a point of clarification. Not against sinners, against sin. Right? This is Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. This is so important to grasp that God's wrath is not against people. God's wrath is against sin. And when, when people, we'll talk about this tomorrow, when people hyper-identify with sin, well, then when God's wrath is against sin, it's against them. But God's natural instinct, we already read that the, the heart of God yearns over his earthly children with a love stronger than death. And so I so appreciate that Ellen White, she makes that point very theologically robust. On the other hand, the judgments of God pronounced against sin, which to me is worlds different than mm. pronounced against sinners. The inevitable retribution, the degradation of our own character, and the final destruction are presented in God's word to warn us against the service of Satan. Mm -hmm. 
And, and there's a big difference between a warning and a threat. Mm-hmm. Right? God's not threatening us. He's warning us. These are the consequences of, of those actions. God will give people over to the consequences of their own decisions, but that's not a threat. That's a warning. A storm is coming. An illness is coming. A pandemic is coming. Destruction is coming. Mm-hmm. Don't let it affect you. Mm-hmm. A way of escape has been made. A ladder has been lowered down. Yeah, and it's loving. It's so loving of Ellen White to have written this, but also of God to clearly lay out the consequences, mm. the choices in life. And, you know, sometimes we struggle with thinking about God's judgment. Mm. Um, but, like... You know, and a growing number of evangelicals are kind of starting to embrace universalism because, it, like, what do you do? It's eternal torment or, you know, yeah, because well, maybe they, God just saves every, everyone. Because they can't let go of the immortality of the soul. Yeah. So they're trapped between universalism and, you know, eternal conscious torment. But this Neither chapter, of which is biblical. Right. And this chapter makes clear that, like, universalism would not be a happy outcome no. for people that you know, that haven't been touched by God's love because heaven is like a big love party. It's a unselfishness party. Yeah, for people, for God to, God can turn water to wine, God can split the Red Sea, but God cannot make people other than they are without their consent. Mm-hmm. If, if God can make us love the things of righteousness and of mercy and of peace and of grace, well, then he would do it. But God cannot do that and keep our own personality the unique personality that is Elise, that is David, intact. So God could do this great big facade, this great big play-acting game, whereby everybody is saved and everybody's pretending like they're happy, but that's God coercively insisting on behaviors that are not native to us, right? God, Not even God can make another us. We are irreplaceable in the universe, which is why it's so important that we voluntarily make these decisions, and then Christ comes underneath and empowers these decisions and enables us to become other than we would be in the absence of Jesus. Hmm. I, I love that she highlights, like, we become something so much more meaningful with Jesus. Yeah. Versus being degraded, like who you are. Great like if you word. wanna, if you wanna become the best version of yourself, if you wanna develop as a human being, hmm. you need Jesus. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And, and then this last paragraph, shall we not regard the mercy of God? What more could he do? Mm-hmm. And what, the moment I read that, I was reminded of a great quotation from C.S. Lewis from his amazing book, The Problem of Pain. And I wrote it down here. And this is what Lewis says. He writes, what are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins and at all costs to give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But he has done so. On Calvary, to forgive them, they will not be forgiven. To leave them alone, alas, I'm afraid, that is what he does. Hmm. And that's where we kind of started the whole chapter was in this, if people that are unrenewed and unsaved and unreconciled were brought into the presence of God and of heaven and of of the kingdom uh they would find it to be a torturous experience, mm-hmm. not a positive one. And so when people say, ultimately, tragically, terribly, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, God will honor that request. You want to be separate from me? I will honor that request. But separation from God is not eternal conscious torment. It's death. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have the opposite of perishing, everlasting life. So in the final analysis, everybody gets what they want. Everybody gets what they want, Elise. The redeemed get what they want. They want eternity with God, and God has so renewed their hearts and transformed them that heaven is a place of great joy. The word joy comes up over and over again. And people that want nothing to do with God and nothing to do with the atmosphere of heaven, well, they get what they want too. What they want is to be left alone. The problem is there is no life apart from God, and that's exactly the point that Lewis is driving at. He says, what do you want God to do? Leave him alone? Alas, he says, I'm afraid that is what he does. Hmm. Okay, you want to do our rubric? Yep. Okay. Let's do this. The point, the person, the prayer, the practice, and the promise. I, I want to just quickly mention, notice again, how that chapter has that Eden to Eden sweep. Mm -hmm. Right? Just like chapter one, begin in Eden and ends in the elevation of human nature. Chapter two, we began in Eden, man's sinless state. And then we go through, and the goal here is to get us back to Eden. It's just so saturative in Scripture and in the writings of Ellen White. So I just wanted to point that out. All right, what was the point of this chapter, Elise, for you? Uh, this is just super simple. Jesus is the only one who can save us. Amen. What is that, Acts 4.12? There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Mm -hmm. Right, Jesus. Um, here's what I wrote, to lift up Jesus as our only hope of communion, both present and eternal with God, to describe our powerlessness and disconnection without Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that those twin motifs of powerlessness and power and then alienation and communion come up over and over again. Communion, and I'll talk more about that in just a little bit. Okay, what do we learn about the person of God? Um, I put Jesus is a bridge because I just love that. Oh, metaphor. I wrote the same thing. Oh, yeah. We have so much in common. Jesus, this is what I wrote. I actually quoted from page 33, 21 of the original pagination. The heart of God yearns over his <laughs> earthly children with a love stronger than death. Christ is the, look what I wrote here. Christ is the bridge, link, connection, mm -hmm. staircase, ladder. Love it. You All see? of that language. You're doing a better job than me. No, it's just, I, I you it's know. It's okay. She, it's not a competition. It's not a competition. But she does talk about how there was a gulf. There was a chasm. Yeah. And Jesus is the bridge. He is the ladder. He is the, the what was the other language there? The staircase, the link. She, these are all yeah. words she uses. I just realized, uh, like, a lot of the metaphors uh, that the Bible uses about Jesus, I think about, like, the bread, the water. I never think about it on a bridge. I never think about Jesus when I'm driving over a bridge, and I want to. Yeah, that's a great point. Because we have Jesus saying expressly things like, I am the door. Mm -hmm. Right, and I am the good shepherd, but Jesus is the bridge. He's the link. Because if you take the story of Jacob's ladder, just to quickly flash back to Jacob's staircase or ladder, if you just cook it down, cook it down, cook it down, cook it down to its most basic element, this is what it's about. This is what it's saying. Earth and heaven are connected. That's the message. He felt disconnected from God. Jacob did. He felt disconnected. And the announcement is, no! Earth and heaven are connected. But then what's even better is they're not just connected. They're connected by Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's the bridge. He's the staircase. He's yeah. the connection. The dream wasn't, here, Jacob, here's the staircase, and now you can walk up it. Good Correct. luck. Correct. But a lot of people might think that. Yeah. Because remember what Jesus said to Nathaniel in John chapter 1. He said, when he was speaking to Nathaniel there, he said, 
You want to follow me? You want to be one of my disciples? You will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. That's clearly the language of Jacob's ladder, Jacob's staircase. He's saying, this isn't something you ascend. It's something that I descended. Mm -hmm. You don't climb up. I came down. So we both had the same thing there. Jesus is the bridge. Um, how about the prayer? What was okay, your prayer? So, um I just wanted to say, I know we don't usually talk to the angels, okay? but I just wanted to say thank you to like the entire dream team, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, the angels, the other creatures. Mm -hmm. Like, it's cool that they're helping. All the people that are cheering us on. Thanks, in the guys. Great. We, we like you too. Stadium of the universe. Yeah, I went a little, um, I got a little creative on this one too. I went back to the music metaphor. Oh, nice. So here's my prayer. Father, make me and my life a harmonious note in the beautiful melody of heaven. And please don't let me be a discordant note. Oh, I have a musical surprise for you, but we should go ahead and finish this. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm Are you going to sing me a song? Just let's wrap this okay, up. Okay, okay, okay. How do we practice this chapter? How do you think we practice? Well, this is what I wrote. Prioritize consistent communion with God through Christ in anticipation of and preparation for eternal communion with him. That is to say, behold the Lamb of God that mm -hmm. takes away the sin of the mm -hmm. world. If I want to spend time with Jesus in the hereafter, and I do, right, I demonstrate to myself and to my family and to God that I want to spend time with Jesus for eternity by, you know, Spending some time with them here mm. and, and in Bible study, in prayer, in service, in ministry, in teaching. I mean, my I want my whole life to be in service of Jesus, not just little episodes or little compartments of service. I want to be praying without ceasing. I want to learn how to be continually mindful of God's goodness and of his presence in my life in preparation like Enoch, who walked with God for that that day when one day I'll step from this world into the next, mm -hmm. and it won't be a total radical transition in the sense that, well, I've been communing with Jesus my whole life by his grace, and now I continue to commune with him throughout eternity. And so I want to practice spending time with Jesus. And I know a lot of people are going to hear that as, oh, doing your Bible study and doing your devotion. It's not, it's not less than that, but it's more than that. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more than that in service and how I spend my money and how I spend my time and where my thoughts just reflexively go, I really do believe that we can live a life that is holy, a life that is pleasing to God. That's never the ground or standing of our salvation. But why not live a life that is maximally committed to Jesus? And I, I want to learn how to do that. I'm not there yet, but I want to get there. And I, I think I am doing a better job of that than I was a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. So that's my practice. Love it. Okay. What's yours? I put look away from myself to Jesus. Yeah. No, that's a great one. Really great. Which is just another way of saying behold the Lamb mm -hmm. of God. Promise. Here's what I put. Though I am powerless, Christ in me possesses infinite power. She uses that phrase, mm -hmm. actually. First chapter, we talked about infinite love, infinite sacrifice. In this chapter, she says, infinite power. Though I am powerless, Christ in me possesses infinite power, and in Christ I am connected to God and to his purpose for my life. Mm -hmm. 
Love it. Amen. The promise that came to my mind was um, like when Jesus was baptized, um, there was this like the spirit and um, I sound like a valley girl right now. Uh, there was like the spirit oh gotcha um, but this statement pronounced over jesus this is my beloved son in whom in whom i'm well pleased and ellen white says in desire of ages yes. that word spoken to jesus yes. embraces every you know every Correct. believer she says this embraces is my all beloved, humanity she this is my says. beloved child in whom so that was the promise that came um from this chapter we're his beloved children in whom he is well pleased. And Elise, in the Desire of Ages, she doesn't just say that that hmm. statement, this is my beloved hmm. son in whom I'm well pleased. She doesn't just say it embraces believers. She says it embraces humanity. It embraces all, every single person. Every single person is already in Christ accepted in the beloved. But only those that receive that acceptance and live into that acceptance will actually see that reality actualized in their life. But in Christ, because Jesus is the second Adam, in Christ, she says, when God said this about Jesus, he said it about everybody. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. That's my beloved daughter. That's my beloved mm. daughter. That's my beloved son. And I, when I'm in airports, I often get overwhelmed by just how many people there yeah. are. And everybody's going somewhere. And everybody's life is just as meaningful and real and important to them as mine is to me. And, and what I do now is I think to myself, and I, I often actually do this, as I'm walking around waiting for a flight and I'm just looking at people, I think to myself, that person is accepted in the beloved. That person is accepted in the beloved. That person is accepted. Every one of these people is accepted in the beloved. And my hope and prayer for them, and sometimes I'll just pray for random people that I mm. see, is that they will receive and live into the acceptance that is already theirs in Christ. Mm. Beautiful. What was your word? Oh, let's see what everybody else's word was. Okay. Condescension. Good word. Darian's word was faithful. Keep them coming. A lot of amens there. There's a little bit of a lag. Yeah. Oh, descending. Uh, Gabby Abby. We love saying her name. That's so fun to say. Gabby Abby. Harmony. Harmony. Oh, bridge. Is that your word, bridge? No. No, Okay. Omnipotence, connected, source. Yeah, Stephen's word is bridge. Bridge. Ladder. Hannah goes with ladder. Nice, Kendra goes with contemplate. Nice. Hey, that's uh, my word, Cassandra. Bernice, communion. Harmony. My word was communion. Hmm. Harmony says Bernice upstairs. We love you, Bernice. Thanks source. for the cookies. Oh, did you have one of those Should, cookies? Those cookies are good. I think that good. we need to share the cookie recipe with. That's a that's Everyone. a good cookie recipe. Can you put the cookie recipe in the <laughs> I'll chat? put it I'll 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 okay. put it up on my uh, cuz it'll just disappear here. Okay. Uh power bridge powerless. Oh, rungs. Oh, that's kind of cool. Like the play on the ladder thing. Mm -hmm. Communion restorer link. Oh, very good. That's like the ladder link staircase. Restore powerless connection redemption connected shepherd, lamb. Please share the cookie recipe. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the sushi, and the sushi recipe. recipe. Yep. Okay. I should have taken pictures. I, I actually put a picture of you up on Instagram. You didn't see it? Oh, dear. I put a really bad I, picture. On my Instagram think. account, I put, this is an unauthorized picture of I had a Elise. piece of fuzz in my hair. Yeah, well, it's up there now. It's immortalized uh, on the internet. Hope, impossible. Impossible is a great word, by the way, Daryl. 
extension. It comes up, that impossible motif comes up a lot. Contemplate, reconnected. <clears throat> what, what was your word? My word was exhaustive. Exhaustive? Because I love this idea of, uh, and not, not to talk about being tired, right. but like heaven exhausted its resources. Like... God oh, the has, dream team. The dream team. They have loved us exhaustively. There's nothing else they could do. I love it. That's a good word. My word, like a couple people on there uh, said as well, was communion because it just comes up over and over again. Let me just read a few of them here. In a sinless state, man held joyful communion. Hmm. Finds no joy in communion with him. She also uses a number of synonyms for the word communion, which I'll talk about. Uh, could the sinner be restored to communion with God? The mystic ladder of his dream represented Jesus, the only medium of communication, which is another kind of synonym, between God and man. Um, across the gulf lay between, there could be no communion, but Christ, um, but through Christ, earth is again linked, there's a synonym, with heaven. With his own merits, Christ has bridged the gulf which sin has made so that the ministering angels can hold communion with man. Christ connects fallen man mm. in his weakness. Uh, next page here, the society of angels, the communion and love of God and of his son. And then the very last sentence of the whole chapter, let us avail ourselves of the means provided for us that we may be transformed into his likeness, hallelujah, and be restored to fellowship with the ministering angels to harmony and communion with the father and the son. So my word was communion. Nice. Now, what's this musical gift? Okay. Well, <clears throat> this may end up being a discordant note. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so excited. I love gifts. So one of my... Well, maybe we should pray first and then... <laughs> <laughs> We've already prayed. Uh, we prayed at the end? <laughs> oh, you want me to pray, like, to close it? I mean, I want them to hear, but, like... If it's really bad and then we pray, I feel like I'll ruin the, the moment. Okay, let's, okay. we'll close with prayer. Okay, but you had to pray. Okay, Jasper was on here before. Yeah. Jasper, you know Jasper. Of course. Okay? Yeah. We need to pray that Jasper will find a wife. Okay. Because he's, uh, he is traveling all over the world helping How old people. is Jasper? Uh, he's in his early 30s. Who? He's building jungle schools, so he needs someone that will travel with him. But he's he's going all over the world helping kids. Um, yeah, his Instagram handle is PSTR Jasper or something. Yeah. And I just want him to have a wife. If only we could find I've been a trying. woman in her 30s who was single. Oh, I'm way taller than Jasper. Oh, oh okay. Just... okay. But he's like a little brother to me. Okay. So we need to pray for Jasper to have. Does, yeah. does Jasper know that we're just talking about him? Jasper right has actually said that if I find him a wife, he'll name his daughter Elise. <laughs> okay. What if his wife's name is Elise? It'll be Elise the second. Okay. Father in heaven, we want to pray and thank you for this amazing chapter, The Sinner's Need of Christ. Father, we need Jesus. We need you. We need to learn how to behold the Lamb of God, not just as a, a once-off, but every day of our lives. And Lord, we want to grow in to uh, who you've called us to be. Uh, Lord, help us to develop a biblical sense of self-identity and self-talk so that we can know where we've come from. We can know how we were created and what your intent was, was for us, but we can also know that in ourselves there is no good thing. We are powerless. We need to be not just encouraged and not just... We need to be saved. We need to be rescued. We need to be resuscitated and resurrected. 
Father, we cry out like Paul of old in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus will deliver us and has delivered us, already seated right now at the right hand of the throne of majesty. So, Father, we just want to thank you for uh, chapter 2 of Steps of Christ. We're looking forward to this ongoing journey through this amazing book. Uh, we do want to mention here that Jasper needs a wife, <laughs> and uh, Elise needs a husband, Father. I'll just throw that in as well. And we do pray for all of the needs of those that are tuning in, Father. We have not just quote-unquote spiritual needs, but we have needs, financial needs, uh, needs in terms of a, a spouse, a partner, a friend, health needs, all kinds of needs, Father. And these are not just wants. These are not just desires. We have needs. And our greatest need is that we need Jesus, mm -hmm. the sinner's need of Christ. And we thank you for him, and we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, I threw you. I had okay. to throw in a... I'm not going to pray for Jasper. Do I know Jasper? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I think so. Okay. Well, I'm not going to pray for Jasper to have a wife and not pray for you to have a husband. Well, okay. So you've got something for this me. This is going to be embarrassing. But one of my favorite memories with David is when we did a surprise song okay. to announce the Arise Online um, launch. Okay. So remember, like, people thought it was just an announcement. Yeah. And then it turned into, like, some sort of a crisis. And then it was like, what do they call it? Flash mob when yeah. people start singing. So we surprised Ty because he didn't know that we were going to do this. Yeah. So I was thinking um, we should have a little theme song for the Steps to Christ challenge. Okay. <laughs> but it might be a discordant note. You know, some of you might love it. Some of you might hate it. It's okay. But um, so I made a little, um, you know, change the words to a song. And um, <laughs> if you want, I can sing it. But can, I need to hold it up I'm here so it's loud I'm enough. I'm having second thoughts. No, you've okay, got to sing it now. If, I don't know if the audio is going to work. I, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to hear. I'm going to put it right here. You have a special knack Do you know the lyrics? getting into embarrassing situations. Yes, I've, I've memorized it. By the way, I, have, I knew nothing about this, and it's all happening right now, live, and I'm excited about it. Are you ready? Okay. Press play? <clears throat> yeah. Steps to Christ by Ellen White. That's the book we are reading every day, dear DA leads out in our book meeting. Jesus loves us and wants us to grow in his love forever. Steps to Christ by Ellen Let's keep reading together. <laughs> Thank you. Is that it? Well, I was that was amazing. <laughs> no, I sound terrible because I can't sing. It's so <laughs> It sounded, so, I loved it. Well, anyway. Thank you for that, Elise. Yeah. You're so creative and so wonderful. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Tomorrow, as we mentioned, we are going to do a supplemental session. It won't be live. <laughs> 
but uh, we'll record it tomorrow sometime in the morning and then it will be up on my YouTube channel. So a, a big apology to those of you that like to tune in via Instagram live, but this is a supplemental session. You're definitely, I think you're singing another song, aren't I you? I know more songs. <laughs> in fact, I might not show up to the supplemental <laughs> session. <laughs> might not show your face. But just a reminder, our it's supplemental okay. session tomorrow is titled Sinner, Saint, or Both. How to form a biblical self-concept. How to form a biblical self-concept. We love you all. For the live session, we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place, <laughs> chapter three. And by the way, today's Sunday, right? Today is Sunday. Yeah. On Tuesday, I have a special guest, a secret guest. Oh, I don't even know. No, and uh, I'll, t I'll tell you more about that tomorrow because I'm going to give a little prize to the first person that guesses who it might be, but I'll do that tomorrow. God bless you all. Yeah. Have a great night. Pray for Jasper. Keep praying. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. And the supplemental session, I'll, I'll upload it tomorrow sometime, and you'll be able to find it on my YouTube channel. God bless you all. We love you so much.